Good morning, everyone. Uh, as you know, it, it was my morning. We board members like to give our <coughs> leaders time off, and it actually gives us an opportunity to share the Word of God. And so this morning was the morning I was chosen. Could have had many reasons not to do it, but that's not what we're here to do. We're not called to do that. We're called to serve the Lord. And this morning I want to talk about covenant and sin. And by the, what I can see in here, we're all pretty much, we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So we're under a covenant, okay? And uh, I'd, I'd like to talk about what happens when we enter into the covenant and what happens when we break that covenant, okay? And when we're in the covenant, there's some things that we should be seeing that are, should be done in, within our church. And if those things aren't being done, what's causing it? And there was a book that actually Pastor Steve had preached a little bit on this as well, but it was called Killing Kryptonite. And it was actually, it was about John Bevere is who wrote the book. I really like the way John speaks only because it talks to me. It's not because, I mean, he's a very good motivational speaker, but it, it, it talks to me, okay? So a lot of this today is going to be talking to me. And as I prepared this week, God had talked to me about it. So I'm going to do some reading, and then I'm going to give you some experiences that happened in my time, and we're going to get experiences in the Bible as well. We're not just going to be talking through my experiences, but we're going to see in the Bible. So uh, Superman and Kryptonite. What are the similarities in, in it and us and God? Okay, uh, Superman isn't from this world, and a child of God is not from this world. You know, we're actually, God, you know, before he knew us before we were ever born, and he placed us on the earth, okay? So he possesses supernatural powers that normal human being doesn't. That would be Superman. But we are supernaturally empowered <coughs> in ways of those of the, of the of ways of those this are not in this world okay we when we accept Jesus Christ into our hearts we actually are empowered by the Holy Spirit okay we see that at Pentecost those things all transpired into us and that's what we want to that we should be seeing that and uh, uh, he fights evil what do we do we fight evil we do it in the spiritual realm through prayer and fasting you know, there's ways that we may, we don't we're not we don't fight of things of you know with with swords and knives here, but we do through prayer and fasting. So those things that we're doing, uh, he protects and liberates the oppressed by villains. That's what you know. If you ever watched the Superman movie, you know, a crime guy would come and try to bring harm, and he'd come and rescue them. And, and the same for us is uh, you know, uh, we guard the weak and set the captives free. You know, those that are struggling, you know, wherever you're at, maybe at work, someone gives you an, an instance that's going on with them. What do we do? You know, we're there to bring forth Jesus Christ and well, there's a better way. We set them free from things that the evil tries to hold them captive. So uh, <coughs> he draws his strength from the sun. Where do we get our strength from? The sun, the son of God. That's where we get it from. Okay, there are only one thing that can stop Superman. It was kryptonite. Okay, it was something that was from his planet that would weaken him. <coughs> and whenever he came around it, he would lose his powers. Uh, there's a kryptonite in our home planet. Okay, uh, that can kill a child of God. That kryptonite that we have is sin. Okay, when uh, when you look at it uh, through the Bible you'll see that God brought judgment whenever, whenever there was sin. And I'm going to give you examples today of that that happened. And it says, uh, I said, oh yes, it didn't origin, our, our sin didn't originate on earth. It happened in the heavenly realms, and then it came down to the earth. Because of one man, that sin, we're still subjected to it. So the effectiveness for us in the kryptonite was we want to stay away from that sin. Because if we entertain any part of that sin, it enables us not to be effective for God. 
Uh, kryptonite not only neutralized super, Superman on the outly, uh, or other worldly abilities, but it also made him weaker than mere human being. So, like I said, sin will weaken us. We're not going to be effective for Jesus Christ if we're living in sin. We're going to see today, I want to give some examples also of how, because one person can sin, it can still affect the whole body. Okay? It just doesn't affect you, and we're going to see some examples to today. But this is our greatest desire. <clears throat> if we are truthful, it's to be the best in our field, to be popular, be happily married, to enjoy great friendship, to be a part of a vibrant community, to enjoy health, to have enough resources to do anything. Each of these attributes, <clears throat> in most, are even necessary, but they but they identify our greatest desire. Do we know people who have all these things? Do we know people that like, look at the uh, movie stars, look at successful people. They all have these attributes, but they're not happy. Because we see that in some of them, they turn to, they have everything in the world that they could possibly want, but yet they turn to maybe drugs, alcohol. They might turn to, uh, uh, they, they can turn to exotic pleasures, you know, uh, sexual sins, we can see. But, uh, but, and it also, we see that they reached the pivotal point of their success. They had all this money, but yet they have no happiness. So what good is it? They're still looking for something. They're looking for a void that gnaws at them, deep inside them, that can't be filled. We can see that they have everything, but they won't fill them. The only thing that's going to fill them, and we, you and I know, is going to be with a relationship from Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. If we're really honest with ourselves, everybody, if men and women, always have an opportunity to seek Jesus Christ. In their lifetime, they're going to be given it. Uh, it's, it, I had written down here, <laughs> if we're honest and deep inside, we all know that there is more. The true satisfaction of every man and woman longed for is whether they realize it or not, is only to be found in our relationship with our Creator. Ecclesiastics 3.11 says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has set eternity in the human heart. No one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. It also says in Romans... 19, Romans 1, 19 and 20, it also says, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the cre creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen. Understand from what has been made so that the people are without excuse. So everything is we have in scriptures, God has made known to us. Everything that he has made, it's been made known to us. It says, since we are children of, of such an awesome God, simple logic would uh, conclude that we should experience an extraordinary life. Uh, promise, <coughs> promise all of the following. Okay? We should have his divine nature, unselfish character, unconditional love and forgiveness, joy and peace beyond description, supernatural powers, well-being, vitality, health, safety and stability, divine wisdom, knowledge, knowledge, understanding, ingenuity, and keen insights and clarity. In short, we are promised the attributes found in heaven. Recall Jesus emphatically declares that his kingdom is within us. Therefore, his will should be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if Jesus Christ place that within us, then we should be able to do all these on earth. Everything should be able to be done. Okay? <clears throat> Let's look at it this way. Yet, these qualities don't seem to be manifested in either a macro or an individual level. If we are honest in our assessment, do we see a significant difference between the people of God and the people of the world? Is there a difference between us and the people of the world? Do we see that? Do we, see, do we see followers of Jesus Christ stand out? Are we seeing that? I'm, not, I'm just asking you, ask yourself that. When you're around others, 
Does Jesus Christ stand out in you? You go to work, you're around people, you're around everybody. I'm here, God's asking me the same thing. Okay, I'm not pointing at any individual in here. These are the things that we need to ask ourselves. Okay? Do we shine as lights in the midst of darkness of a dark generation? Consider our divorce rate. Is there a marked difference between the church and society? Out in society, we know that there's a lot of divorce rates. Ask yourselves, what's it like in the church? Are we seeing a difference? We should be seeing a difference. We remember, Jesus Christ gave us, when we accepted that, gave us everything that we need to handle all these. But today, we're going to find out some things that will stop it. Okay? Do we suffer from envy, jealousy, gossip, strife, division, resulting in a failed relationships? Do we see the character of integrity, morality, that are uh, dramatically different from the corruption of our nation? Is there a distinction between believers and unbelievers in our health and well-being? Do we have an abundance of resources? Don't we have an abundance of resources? Are we able to meet the needs of others and proclaim the gospel to every person globally? You know, I just heard this week, isn't it unique? You can have a loved one maybe over in the east. Maybe he's in a country. Oops, sorry. But uh, we can go and we can get on our iPhone and we can do a FaceTime. And with that fast, we can be looking and seeing that person. It, we have all the resources that we need to reach the needy. Even our society, we have it. We even have a greater one when Jesus Christ gave us everything that we needed. Okay? Jesus promises that when we seek first his kingdom and righteousness, everything we need will be given to us. Not once did he lack resources. That, there was not once that the resources was lacked that kept Jesus from doing what he needed to do. He healed everybody. Okay? Everybody that came to him. He didn't turn away anybody. Unfortunately, there's been some extreme teachings in the church that, deal, that deals about wealth. Some people think that if you're wealthy, you shouldn't be. Well, how are you supposed to get anything done if you don't, if you don't have money? Okay? There, it's not, the Bible says that it's not money that's the evil. It's the possession. It's the love of the money. Okay? When you start loving that more than you do anything else, then that's where we go wrong. But, God gives us those resources. If we're willing to do what God wants, I guarantee you, you're going to have everything you need to do what he's chosen you to do. He's a good father. He gives good gifts. You don't do that to your kid. You don't tell him to go mow the yard and give him something that can't be done. You give him the resources that it takes. But yet, what causes it? What causes us to be less effective? Isn't it? When we pursue God's kingdom <clears throat> that possesses, in, I'm going to make sure, yeah, I, I went through this, sorry about that. I'm trying to follow these notes the best I can, <laughs> okay? And this is tough, guys, it's tough. <laughs> but first king, during Solomon's time in Judah, it says that from Dan, in first Kings 425, during Solomon's lifetime, Judah and Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, Beersheba lived in safety. Everyone under, under their own fig and under their own, or under vine and their fig tree. That meant they were wealthy. Okay? There wasn't anybody attacking them because so under the covenant of which they kept, remember, they kept the covenant. They lacked nothing. So sometimes in our lifetime, do we keep the covenant? We do the best that we can. But there are things that cause us not to. <clears throat> Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established on a better promise. Hebrews 8.6 says, But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is, is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one since the new covenant is established of a better promise. So, let's, re let's go to some examples. Okay, let's return to the Israelites 
who are examples of however, let's advance one generation. We're going to go from Moses to Joshua, okay? We know that Moses and the old ones, under the old, uh, the, the old, it would be the first Israelites out had sinned. They weren't allowed to. It was like up to 25 after 25, or uh, 25 and above couldn't go, but under 25 could. We had seen it. So it's time to go in. However, it says the body of the believers crossed the Jordan River and marched into the Promised Land. Their first assignment was to destroy the enormous city of Jericho. No doubt, a daunting task. Jericho was big. It, it really it was. I, I looked in there and it, it was saying that Jericho was like six acres. You know, it was really, really, uh, it, it gave miles, but I couldn't break it down to really give it to you. One part I found in uh, when you Google things, you know, like ask Daryl. <laughs> Daryl will tell you that you can't do, you can't Google it, Stan. He'll ask a question, you know. <laughs> but anyways, I tried to find it and it was saying like 22, 22 square miles is what it was actually saying. So that would be like from where I live over towards the Mahoning Dam to here and around about 22 miles. Okay, put that in, in a square. It was a big city. <clears throat> but God would certainly, once again, show his mighty strength. There was one specific instruction God gave Joshua when he went in to do this. He said, one of them being Jericho and everything in it must be completely destroyed as an offering to the Lord. So everything in there had to be destroyed. Do not take any of these things set apart for destruction. So God wanted everything destroyed. It was set apart for destruction. Don't take anything. Don't go in there and say, hey, I like that table there. You know, we're going to take that. No. Wasn't allowed to do that. It had to be destroyed. And everything made from silver gold, bronze, or iron is to be saved uh, is, to, is to be saved for the Lord and must be brought into his treasury. That was in Joshua 6 17 through 19. So we see the attack came. We see that the attack came and it was at, and the Israelites were inevitable. They completely annihilated everything in the city with their swords. Men, women, both young and old, cattle, sheep, goats, and donkeys. They burned, they burned the city, everything in it, except the silver and the bronze and the iron that were kept for the Lord's treasury. Amazingly, not one Israelite was killed in that battle. Not one. How many was in that battle? There were 600,000 soldiers. That's what it said. <coughs> Israelite was supernaturally empowered by God. I have heard it said that God drove those walls down into the ground. They were like, what, 12 feet high, 15 feet high? Drove those things right into the ground, okay? They went in. This is a big city. Not one person, not one, died in that battle. However, we read, Israel, Israel violated the instructions about the set-apart for the Lord. A man named Achan had stolen some of the dedicated things to the Lord and was very angry and the Lord was very angry with the Israelites. Did you notice what I had said there? The Lord was angry with the Israelites. It was only one man that sinned. But when you're in covenant, you're in covenant with everybody that's in here. Let's let's just call it New Hope Covenant. Okay? Everything that we do wrong can affect every one of us that's here today. You, you know, you have to sit and think about that. You know, there's probably times that you knew it was wrong, but you was going to do it anyways. Because you, you're just like, you know, but, you know. But what happens when God says no? He says it can be the easy things. It don't have to be sin alone. This, what I'm saying the sin was, was when he tells you to do something, and you decide another way. And you say, well, okay, Lord, I'll do three-quarters of it. Isn't that what, Ach what they did, the Israelites? They destroyed everything, but they didn't know what Achan had done. Achan, uh, what was interesting to me, he took a robe, and he took, golden, he took some, some uh, go uh, gold and some silver, 200 pounds of silver, one pound of gold, which is a lot. <laughs> but anyways, 
He took that, okay? No one else knew that he had taken it. One can set, he, could have, he could have reasoned that away and said, well, hey, listen. Well, he could say, I could use this for this, this, and this. I, I, I went out and killed however many people. I helped burn. He could have reasoned it away. But the instructions was, no, this is what you do. You know, if I'm at work and someone comes to me and I tell them, give them instructions to do something, and they don't do it, there's consequences for what they didn't do. Okay? Because I gave specific instructions. They can reason all they want, but this is not what I wanted. Okay? Sorry, guys. I'm, I'm a manager at where I'm at, and I, those of you don't know that. So, uh, you know, I have to instruct people. You know, I have to tell people, I have to hire, I have to fire. You know, but it's not an easy thing. But what I'm saying is, is God gave instructions. We get instructions. We have to follow those instructions. If not, we see what's going to happen here. Briefly here, we're going to see what happens. <clears throat> so, what ends up happening is, uh, let me get my place here. Okay, what we see later on here is, is, is no one knew what Achan had done. They're going to go and they're going to conquer this small little city called Ai. Okay? Ai, I've read in the Bible that they had sent people in to spy it out first. And then what ended up happening is the leaders got together, realizing they didn't need 600,000 soldiers to go take care of this small little town. They said it'd take about two or 3,000 people, plenty. We should have no problem. They opted to go with 3,000 people. They're going to go in, and, uh, and this is going to be the next city that needs to be conquered. They go in, and it says, uh, they go into the city, and it says that, it says in Joshua 7, 4, 5, it says, this shows how big the difference between Jericho and I was. There were 600,000 to 300,000 300, soldiers. So it's, it's, there's a big difference. This ain't a very big town. But, they were, but Joshua 7, 4 through 5 says, But they were soundly defeated. The men of Ai chased the Israelites from the town gates as far as the quarries. And they killed about 36 who were retreating down the slope. Let's ponder this. Achan sinned. Yet nothing happened to him or his family. 36 guys died. Got to remember, there's going to be 72 moms and dads that ain't going to see their son again. If you do the math, double that, 36, 72, you're going to see also that uh, there's going to be a slew of children that father isn't coming home. Nothing it doesn't say in records anything ever happened to Achan. Okay? None of these guys sinned. None of them took anything from the treasury that was supposed to be out of Jericho. None of them took any of that. You know, our society today said that's unfair. If that happened today in America or in this world, they'd say it ain't fair. <clears throat> but there were specific instructions that were given. And what we have to remember today is when we're given something to do, we need to do it to those instructions. Or there's consequences. Okay? <clears throat> what we see is uh, uh, the leaders, they go before the Lord. <clears throat> and they ask, why were we defeated? Why did you bring us out? Why did you bring us across the Jordan River if you were going <coughs> to let the Amorites kill us? Hear God's response. They fell, you know, they fell before the Lord. They're crying out, "Why did this happen?" And hear God's response: "Get up." Can you hear that? And I don't think it was anything pleasurable. Come on now, honey, get up. He said, "Get up." He said, "Why are you lying on your faces like this? Israel sinned." He didn't say Achan, okay, and broke my covenant. And it said, 
God doesn't say, there is a man who has sinned among you. No, again, he declares, Israel has sinned. No one knew Achan had sinned. No one was party to his covetousness, yet the entire body, yet the entire body, they suffered from spiritual kryptonite. That's what they suffered from. Joshua finds out who it was, confronts Achan, who responds. This is Achan's response. It's true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. It says, among the plunder, I saw a beautiful robe from Babylon. Remember, that was supposed to be destroyed. 200 silver coins and a bar of gold weighing more than a pound. I wanted them so much, I took them. Joshua and the leaders dealt swiftly with Achan's offense, and once they did, we read, said the Lord was no longer angry. That's in Joshua 7.26. So you see, he, he wanted that so bad. And sometimes when we're given instruction, there might be some things that we're told not to do from God, even though we want it so bad, we want it some, a different way. You know, sometimes maybe we're not getting the answers from God that we want because we want it to go our way and not the way that God wants it to go. It can very easily be done. Because men, I will speak about men, we're to roll. We want to roll. We want to conquer. We conquer one thing at a time. It's just the way we are. I mean... I get called from work and someone tells me something's wrong. I'm not wondering what happened. One bit. My mind automatically goes to defense. What are we going to do to fix this problem? Okay? I'll worry about it later. I've found uniquely people were different. Same way for Aiken here. Aiken just, he just couldn't control himself. He wanted to have that. Okay? So... Numbers 25, 1 through 3 says, while Israel was staying at the, uh, oh, I, I wanted to, to j- just to state, that's going to finish up with Achan, okay? We see that once they dealt with Achan, then it stopped, you know, God was, was okay, but that had to be dealt with. And, but in the process, got to remember, innocent people, why? I guess we can ask God when we get there. If, that probably won't be a question, that we're going to ask. <laughs> yeah, you know, we're going to be so happy to be in heaven. And we're going to, it's going to be a glorious day. It's not going to be something that we're going to be asking, well, why this? Maybe later on, we may be in a table discussion. Like, now I remember when we was... <laughs> but it may not happen that way. But that's, that's my version, okay? So we're going to go on to another, on to another thing. We've got to remember... There was a covenant broken. It says, Numbers 25, 1 through 3. It says, While, in, while Israel was staying at Shittim, uh, the, new, the, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with the Moabite women. That is a time that, I know it was preached before, just to give you a little bit on that. That was when Balaam was to curse the Israelites, and he wouldn't. So they come up with a scheme to take the Moabite women into seduce them. I just want to give you some clarity to what I'm talking about. So, but anyways, so the sexual, it said that the Israelites were staying at Shittim and the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with the Moabite women who invited them in, who invited them to sacrifice to their gods. The people ate the sacrificial meal and bowed down before these gods. Remember what God said in the commandments. What did he say? Have no other god before me. It was, you didn't, you didn't worship other idols. They sacrificed the food and ate it. You don't, you stay away from that. They knew. These men knew not to do that, okay? So Israel, so Israel yoked themselves to the bells of poor, and the Lord's anger burned against them. The Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of these people, kill them, expose them in broad daylight before the Lord, so that the Lord's, Fierce anger may turn away from Israel. He wanted them all killed. He said, that's what you want, that's what you're going to get. And this is going to be the judge, this is going to be from it. So Moses said to the Israel's judges, he went to the tribes, they had judges over top of them, he went to them, each of you must put to death those of your people who have yoked themselves to the bells of poor. While this is going on, then an Israelite man brought into a camp a Midianite woman right before their eyes of Moses. You didn't do that. You didn't bring them into your camp, okay? Well, they were so 
puffed up, thought they were great and everything. They just brought them in. And it says, And the whole assembly, while they were weeping at the entrance of the tent of meetings, when Phenis, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw this, he left the assembly, took a spear in his hand, and he followed the Israelite into the tent. This guy's burning with anger. Okay? It probably it made him mad. He realized what was going on here. He was bringing something outside that should not have been brought in. He's gone. I don't know if... It, it, to my thing is, is, that was the spirit inside him that you didn't do that to, to my, the gods and you didn't do it to our people. He knew what we were to do, well, that we shouldn't be doing that. So <clears throat> it says... Uh, he drove the spear into both of them, right through the Israelite man and into the, woman, and into the woman's stomach. The plague against the Israelite was stopped. As soon as that happened, it stopped. It didn't say God stopped it. It said once that was done by Eleazar, it was done. He stopped it. So, what's, so what am I saying? What I'm saying is that sometimes when we see something happening, we have the right to put a stop to it. Okay? You can confront somebody about the sin that they're having. Okay? That's why it says in the Bible, if you see a brother sinning, go to him and tell him about his sin. And then if that doesn't happen, if that doesn't work, then you go to the elders. And the elders, they go and they speak to the man. And if that doesn't happen, what does it say? Put him out. Put him out of your church. So, in all this here, we see that we can get zealous for the Lord. We're going to read on here. That that's what he got. He got zealous for the Lord. And it says, uh, but, the, uh, but, those who, but the plague stopped, but those who died, and the plague numbered 24,000. That's how many people had died. The Lord said to Moses, Venus, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned my anger away from the Israelites. Since he was zealous for my honor among them, as I am, I did not put, a, I did not put an end to them in my zeal. Therefore, tell him I am making a covenant of peace with him and his descendants. Descendants will have covenant of lasting priesthood because he was, zeal, he was zealous for the Lord honor of God and made an atonement for the Israelites. So we see there that that's has happened. We also see it in the New Testament. We see where Paul had done the same thing in Corinth. And what ended up happening was uh, early in Paul's letters we read that there was an assembly in Corinth a church, okay? And uh, he addresses yet a different sin, a type of sin that is also uh, affecting the entire community, okay? He, he starts by saying, I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you. First Corinthians 5.1. The situation was a man who professed to be a follower of Jesus Christ, a child of God, a child of God and a brother of Christ, and a member of the body of Christ, was living in a willful sexual sin. They knew about it. Paul's correction was not directed only to the man uh, committing the sin. He was telling the church about it, too. In short, what he was doing is, is he, he said, what we can see is, is the man could have been a pivotal man within that body. He could have been somebody that was a great big tithe giver. And if he would leave, what would happen to the church? You know, sometimes some churches will look over that because the effect of what's going to happen if that man leaves, okay? He could have been, it says in Corinth, that they studied in the arts. He could have been an actor back then. I mean, he could have been a musician. And it says in here that, you know, that the church didn't deal with it. And he dealt with the church. He's not only telling this guy that he's in sexual sin, or he's in sin, not sexual sin, but he's in sin. He's telling the church, and so are you, because you're not dealing with it. Okay? 
Something that we don't want to do is a body that we are. We don't want to overlook any of that. Because what we want to do, we say we're healing valley. Okay? But if somebody in here is living in sin, it's affecting us from being, from being productive out in the world. Because God's not going to overlook it. I gave you examples. But he won't overlook it. Okay? And Paul's was different, but Paul told them how they were to address it. Uh, there, you know, there, there could have been many reasons why they didn't do it. I, I'm only giving you some that I think it could have been. Okay? But what Paul said is, you should remove this man from your fellowship. Okay? He, he knew about it. because it, it says that he knew about it. Okay? It's no different than if, if I would see something and just come and say, hey, brother, you shouldn't do that. You know? You don't want to listen to me, then, like I told you earlier. There's a, there's a process that we go through. And then said, Paul also directed him, he said, you must throw this man out. 1 Corinthians 5, 5 says that. And it says, get rid of the yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. That's what he's trying to say. If this man stays here, it's going to go through all of you. And every one of you is going to fall to sin. You're going to be subjected to it. You know, I shouldn't say all of you, but you're going to be subjected to it because that's what yeast does. It works true. Then the next person says, well, if it's okay for him, then it's going to be okay for me. It's not the way it works. That's, that's what they mean by the yeast when it works true. Okay? Because then, well, if it's okay for him, it's okay for me. And if it's okay for them, it's okay for us. And it goes so on and so forth. So Paul directed that. And all of what I'm talking about today, I really don't want to leave you with, with, with this. I want to give you some inspiration as well, okay? <laughs> now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you about sin. I want to tell you about some other things that we can do within the church. And one of them is going to be about Rebecca in the Bible. Do you know who Rebecca was? It was Isaac's wife. And if you give me a second to get, bring it up here. I want to talk about this. Okay, in here, it's talking about Abraham. Abraham wanted to get a wife for Isaac. He didn't want it to come from the Canaanites to where he was at. He wanted the, the wife to come from back home. And this was also preached. I told Pastor Steve, you heard the Cromer NIV. Okay? <laughs> You're hearing the white NIV. Okay? <laughs> but what, what it says was, is uh, it, what's uniquely it was that Abraham had his servant make a covenant with him. Not a covenant, but wanted him to get a wife. And he made him swear. He made him put, put his hand under his thigh. That's the way they did it. They must have done it back in the day. He had to put his hand under his thigh, and he made swear to him that he would not get a wife for Isaac here. He would go back to his homeland. And it even said in there about, uh, should I take him back if they don't? And he said, don't do that. Whatever you do, do, do not take him back. Let me, let me read here. It says, Abraham had taken another wife whose name was Ketra. She bore him... Uh, uh, Zimron. I don't think that's where I want to be. I know that's not where I want to be. I want to go on down. I think I'm one too many. Just bear with me, please. Isaac and Rebecca. It says Abraham was now old. <clears throat> and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to his senior servant in the household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among you who I am living. But go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. The servant asked him, what if the woman is unwilling to come back with me? to this land. Shall I take your son back to the country that you came from? Make sure you do not take him there. 
Abraham said, The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household in my native land, <coughs> and who spoke to me and who spoke to me and promised me an oath, saying, To your offsprings, I will give you this land. And he will send his angel. Notice, this guy's going to do this. It's a key part. What Abraham said. This is the faith that Abraham had, that he knew that he would get a wife from that country. Okay? It says, he will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife from my son there. It's really interesting to notice that, that he was that confident that God was going to get him a wife. God, I believe, didn't tell him that. I really don't think he did. Because of the experience that he had with God from that up until that point. Remember, he was going to sacrifice Isaac. Okay? But he knew God had a plan. This is the same way. When we go to do something, we have to get this instilled within us. God has a plan. If you get an idea, probably God telling you. So go have faith that God's going to be there with you, and he's going to lead you through that. It says, uh, If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Do not take my son back there. The servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham, and he swore an oath concerning this matter. Then the servant left, taking with him ten, ma- ten taking with him his master ten camels loaded with all kinds of good things from his master. He sent them out to he sent them out for Abram Norim, and he made his way to Nora. He had the camels kneel <coughs> near the well outside the town. It was towards evening. Getting uh, it, the evening was getting com- the it was time for the women to come out and draw the water, and to speed things up a little bit. Uh, this woman, uh, Rebecca, comes out. But before that happens, he prays to the God. He prays to Abraham's God, and he says, hey, he says, let the woman that comes, she has, that has her water, if I say, give me a drink, and she gives me a drink and says, I'll water your camels, let her be the one. So, sure enough, here they come out, first one, Rebecca. And she brings her jar up out from out of the spring. He says, can I have a drink? She lowers her jar down, gives him a drink, and she says, and I will, give your, and I will water your camels. I don't know if you know it or not, but a camel, they say, can drink anywhere from 20 to 50 gallon of water. Okay? All right? So you've got to think about this. There's 10 of them there. All right? And she says... Get, she said, it says in the scriptures that she gave him a drink and she, would, she ran to the spring. Now this spring wasn't a spring where you lowered a jar and cranked it up and then poured it. There was physical work that had to be done here. She had to go down to the spring, fill the jug of water, and bring it up. Let me give it to you in relevant. They believe that it was five gallon of water. Five gallon of water Water weighs 8.3 pounds, 8.34 pounds per gallon. Let's make it simple math. Let's just call it eight, eight gallons or eight pounds. She's carrying 40 pounds up out of that well. She has to do this. That, she has to do this here. They, they figured it was 600 gallons is what they figured that she would have to bring up out of there. She'd have to go four times, or what is it, four times? 60 times, it was, I think it was like four, and it was like 60 times that she had to keep going back and forth, filling this. point I want to make was, she's a servant. She didn't, she wasn't doing this for no glory or anything. She was just there to serve this guy. That's all she was doing. You know, when we come into the church here, and we're given a task, we're, we're doing this for the Lord. We're not doing this for no glory. We're doing this here because we want to serve the Lord. And we, we, we may know why we're doing it. We may know that it's helping other people. But we're not doing it for a reward. She knew nothing about this. She knew nothing that those camels that was there was going to be gifts for her. And they were precious gifts. Remember, Abraham was a very wealthy man. Okay? He was extremely wealthy. And I don't think he sent Dollar General gifts down there. Okay? 
<laughs> Think about however you want. I'm not saying nothing against that. Please, please. I know we're on camera here, but I'm just saying they were expensive gifts, okay? And we see because of the heart of a servant, God rewards that. Same way we're in our covenant when we're servants and we do it. We do it as unto the Lord. You know, I can remember I was at home, I was younger, and I am finishing up, so don't go to sleep. If you see anybody sleeping, pinch them. Donnie, lock the doors. But no. <laughs> We're going to have communion, but I can remember when I was younger, I was living at home, and wasn't, at first, when I got first married, I wasn't serving the Lord, but then uh, Jesus Christ came into my life, and I was, uh, I was serving him. And I can remember, and I worked for the company that was here. We were very small then. And I can remember I was out mowing the yard and I got a call. And, but I was really faithful to God. Everything that I did, I did, I was being faithful. It was probably three years after I'd gotten saved. And it worked. I was, I got a call from, I was out in the yard mowing, how it played down. I was out in the yard mowing, and Annette come and said, you're wanted on the phone. I went in, and it was the employer that I worked for, and said, "Sorry, at this given time, we're going to have to. There's going to be a layoff." I said, "Oh, you know." I don't know about you people, but boy, and and men, we're the provider for our families, and boy, when that comes across, it's like, now what, you know? But when I was working, I always tried to do everything the best that I could. And I really believe, truthfully, when I finish, I'll finish, and then I'll, I'll finish, it was the hand of God. Because I got the call, so I decided, well, I'm going to go to work, and I'm going to get out and get boots. In case I get another job, I'm going to need those boots to go to some other place until I get called back. So I get down, and my boss is there. And I look down, and there's nobody else there. It was the next day. I look down, and there was nobody there, and there he is running the high lift loading trucks. And I'm like, okay. So then we didn't have cell phones. Listen, I'm not that old, but we didn't have cell phones, okay? <laughs> but so I got on the CB that was in our changing room, and I said, hey, Torch, Stan. I said, hey, I'm just here to get my boots and stuff. I, you know, I might need them. And when you're loading, you got a steering wheel here now, sorry, my guys are spoiled. They sit in there, and it's just like a recliner. Uh, the left side over here steers it and runs it forward and reverse all by one thing. Your hand doesn't move any more than that and that. You're not turning this big steering wheel. But then we were turning the big steering wheel. I'm not that old, okay? <laughs> but anyways, he's down there, and he doesn't respond, and I think what happened was I left. I shut, you know, I walked out, had my stuff, and I left. I'm just going to get home and I get a call. Hey, where'd you go? Well, you were busy and didn't want to bother you. I left. Well, I wanted to talk to you. Well, what did you want to talk to me about? He said, don't worry, you're coming back Monday. This is on a Tuesday. I said, oh. I said, uh, who else is coming? Remember, I'm the youngest guy. I was the last guy to get hired there. Okay? So I'm the new guy. What happens whenever usually there's a layoff? Youngest guy gets it. Right? Guess what? I said, oh, the guy I worked with, I named him. I said, is he coming back? No. Huh? Thinking, man, he was the oldest. Okay. So I go to the next guy. And I get down the line. He said, no, nobody's coming. Just you. <laughs> you know, blow me out of the water. But you know, why did that happen? Why, why would that be? You know, had I not been serving God, I would have had that filthy attitude. My boss, I said, why did you bring me back? He said, well, Stan, you were the only one that ever took interest in learning every job that was here. I wouldn't have done it had I not been serving God. I just was looking for every opportunity where I was at just to do that job. And if they would ask me, and he said, you know, he said, I knew if I ever asked you to do something, 
I would go home and I know it would be done. But, you know, without serving God, those things, you know, God rewards his servants, just as he did with Rebecca. I, I wasn't doing it. I wasn't doing it for, I didn't do that because, for any special reason. But I believe God said, I'll take care of you. Don't you worry about it. That's what I'm here today to give you encouragement. Even though we do wrong, and we might not even know it, before we do communion, these are the times that we should because you want to come up here with no unforgiveness in your heart, any sins that you might have thought, maybe I messed up this week or something. You want to come pure before the Lord. But my biggest point is this. Even if you decide not to and it's something you can't take care of, you're affecting the body of Christ right here. So like I said, examine for your... My wife will be coming up here. I'm going to let the A team come now. I'm the B. It's the A team. Okay? All you guys, remember that. (laughs) But I'm going to let that go. Thank you for listening to me. I hope you got something. I hope you evaluate what was said here throughout this week and throughout the next year. You know, we're going to be signing papers here, what, next month, Pastor Steve? They're covenant papers. Read them. Don't just sign your name on the bottom. Okay? Read what they say. Say, yes, I'm in agreement with this. You want to read it. Just don't say, oh, I know what it is, and just go ahead and sign it. Because if you read it, The Holy Spirit will be talking to you. All right? Thank you.